Welcome to the Edinburgh Fringe. Today, do you not know that a man is not dead while his name is still spoken? Yes, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome to Edinburgh. It's the preview. The fringe is getting ever closer. The hotels are filling up. The Airbnbs are trying not to get too much attention from HMRC. Yes, of course. The arts capital in the world is nearly ready to welcome you. Yeah, let's just bring Needfire, our favourite Texan bagpipers, down into the background. Yes, you and Spence here once more getting ready to preview the Edinburgh Fringe for you. And of course, it's all about the show. So today we are going to talk with a longtime friend of the parish, Mark Burrows. He's been on the show many, many years ago. He's been at countless Fringe and is bringing three shows up to the capital this year. There's a classic stand-up show, there's a second show that talks about what happens in the third show, and a third show that takes us through the life and work of Sir Terry Pratchett. It's less the show of the unofficial biography, which Mark wrote, it's more a PowerPoint that uses that biography as a starting point. I'm going to talk to Mark about how he decided to do the show, why the footnotes that Sir Terry loved are part of the experience and why the right thing to do on top of two shows about Sir Terry Pratchett is to do a late night stand-up slot in front of a picture of Damon Albarn. The Magic of Terry Pratchett's at 5.30pm at the Gilded Balloon. The Magic of Terry Pratchett, the footnotes is at 7pm. The uh, late night show in the Glom of Knit is at 11.15pm. But before all that, there's Mark myself, and a microphone. Joining me now and welcoming him back to the podcast. Hello, Mark Burrows. You've not been on here for nine years. Nine years? I know nine I said years. it was 2014. I know I said it was 2014, but I hadn't realised that 2014 was nine years ago. Oh, the linear nature of time. Oh, it's terrifying. Oh, no. It's, yeah, yes. I, I never add back to, you know, I started this in 2005, but I really, really try not to do the maths because it is, yes, <laughs> we don't do that. 18 Mark, years. I'm not even going to ask what's we Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that or I will see you, you can only it. mention two of your three shows and you'll have to choose the one you like the least. Okay. Well, that, uh, and since I'm not in the mood for killing my darlings, I'll uh, I'll I'll, I'll keep them. Okay. Everybody knows you've got three shows now. Um, although it's kind of two and a half, or is it two plus one? Yeah, it is. So essentially, I'm doing a show called The Magic of Terry Pratchett, which is about Sir Terry Pratchett, and I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty because the other one is not as talk aboutable um but i'm doing uh so i'm doing a show about terry pratchett at uh at the fringe at the gilded balloon um and that's going to be an hour long and it's basically a lecture it's it's kind of a multimedia presentation comedy show lecture kind of thing about the life of the author sir terry pratchett 
Um, and then I realized that every time I've done a reading from the book that it's based on, because I, I wrote a biography that it's based on, um, people always have loads of questions. We always have loads of like fun answering it. I always have lots of back and forth and people like to nerd out. And I thought it was such a shame that I couldn't do that because there just wasn't time. So I pitched a second show. I was like, can we do a second show? That will just be, we'll just do it in the bar and people can come up and nerd out, and but we'll make it official. And the Gilded Balloon came back and went, actually, we can charge people for that if you want. So I, which made me think, okay, so now that has to be a show because if I'm, people are paying money for it. I don't just want it as an opportunity for them to ask questions. So we now have a show called The Magic of Terry Pratchett, The Footnotes, which uh, is half an hour after the main show ends. And I will be interviewing a fringe guest every day. I will be doing uh, readings from rare Terry Pratchett stuff. I will be taking Q&A and talking about how I wrote the show and wrote the book. And it'll just be kind of a chance for massive fans to nerd out. So, yeah, it's a bo- there is a bonus sort of DVD extra show on top of the main show. And for those people who aren't familiar with Sir Terry's work, he loved his footnotes. He loved a footnote, and so do I. I got, I, I, I cannot write anything that doesn't include a footnote. Footnotes are essentially, for, for, for Pratchett, they were the little asides, extra jokes. He used to call them sherbet lemons, which is his phrase for um, sprinkling an extra handful of sweets into the thing, because when he was young, there was a local... Uh, sweet shop and every time that you bought a bag of sweets the shopkeeper would add a few extra sherbet lemons so he always called footnotes sherbet lemons and the idea was that there's always these extra little jokes tiny little asides stuff that distracts the main narrative and he kind of used them like like a stand-up comic like he you'd be reading the page and then your eye would have to drop to the bottom of the page to read the joke and then back up again and it created a pause and a sense of timing so um yeah, he loved a footnote. My show actually has footnotes. I think I might have the first ever Edinburgh Fringe show that has footnotes. All the way through the show, there are footnotes. And then there's an entire show dedicated to footnotes. Well, if you don't have it, you're, probably, you're definitely the first one to say it on this podcast. Uh, so we can call that a Fringe first. And we could probably get you an award for that, but I think the name is already taken. <laughs> um, well, as long as it means I can put laurel leaves on my show next year. Uh, we can invent if you if you invent an award, you can put laurel leaves on your poster. That is how it goes. That is the rule. That is the, the un, completely understood system. You said that the Gilded Balloon said, "Oh, we could charge for that." Does that mean they've charged you again? Are you paying double now? No, uh, they were actually very nice about it. In that um, we're doing that that show as a kind of basically like they had a spare room. We're doing it on a straight split. They haven't actually made me pay for another. Um, for you know the the other deposit because I'm sure people listening know it is excruciatingly expensive to uh, put on a show in a space like that, particularly if for those of us who are for those other people who unlike me aren't lucky enough to have the literary estate of a extremely successful author backing their show, <laughs> which is which I do this year, which is the only reason I can, I can afford it. Um, but no, they were they very kindly said no, that, that, that that we'll just do it as a, a door split on the tickets, and the tickets are only a fiver. It's you know, it's all pretty low key. Speaking of the estate, there, uh, you you've had a lot of access to Sir Terry's estate and a lot of their blessing as well for your work that you've done around the author. Yeah, I have. Um, although not for the book. So this the show is based on a book. I wrote the first ever biography of Sir Terry Pratchett. Like, there were a couple of books about him, but no, no one had written a real biography. Um, so 2019, I, I, I got that book deal. and I, The book came out summer 2020. 
uh, because I wanted it to come out in time for a, a Discworld convention that was happening in 2020 because they only happen every two years. So I worked my absolute behind off to try and get this book finished in time to make sure it came out in time so that I could launch it at the big Discworld convention of the summer of 2020. Uh, I was very excited about that extremely well, well-timed plan. There was a small fork in the road. <laughs> <laughs> there was a small problem that occurred. This is where we that... put in a Pratchett footnote, yes? Yes. Um, footnotes. The summer of 2020 was marred by the global pa- by the pandemic uh, caused by the COVID-19 SARS virus, and most major events were cancelled. So uh, as a result, um, I it was, re- it was released with digital um launch party and everything but anyway i i the book was completely unofficial i had no i had no access to anyone for that book none of the big none of the like his wife and daughter and and close friends and assistant who runs the estate now none of them um were willing to be interviewed for the book uh so i kind of had to use other ways of writing it but when the book came out um like the the estate people at the estate read it obviously um to check i hadn't libeled them i imagine uh and i wasn't you know liberally weeing all over the legacy of a one of the greatest writers of all time and uh found that i'd done a good job and had written it with a lot of affection and some extremely detailed research if i do say so myself so uh actually what happened is they got in touch with me and then i won an award the, the book won an award it won the locus award which is a um American Science Fiction magazine. It's quite a prestigious award. Like Terry Pratchett won Locus Awards, and they were the first proper awards he won. And uh, uh, Rob, who runs the Terry Pratchett estate, who used to be Sir Terry's uh, assistant and then became his business manager, uh, reached out to say, you know, well done on the award. We're really pleased for you. We're, we're you know, well, we're, we're, we're really chuffed. You did a great do- job with the book. Thank you very much. And uh, Rob and I kind of just hit it off and we uh, became quite good friends. So when I kind of came up with the idea of doing a, a a live version of the book, which kind of isn't really a version of the book at all. It's got the same name and it's about Terry Pratchett, but actually the form of a, of a fringe show and the form of a book are so different. And it went off in such a different direction that actually they're not really the same story. Uh, but when I said I'd like to do a live show, uh, do I can I have your permission? Rob came back with, not only do you have our permission, uh, I will we will help you develop it we will um we'll help fund it and uh and i was like really <laughs> you'll help fund fund it because i i hadn't imagined i'd ever be able to afford to do this at a venue like the gilded balloon because as we know that's very expensive i was assuming that i would do a free fringe venue as i've always done in the past and it would be a relatively low key but presumably quite and it'd be a pay what you want kind of thing and i, I thought it'd be okay um but suddenly i had the support of the Terry Pratchett estate and I was able to go to a proper producer and say a uh, Cory Maguire who's a great French producer and say can we find me a venue for this show and suddenly I had the budget to actually do it properly and have a real show and have well I mean it would have been a real show anyway but I can have a, but, be, but uh, this would be a show with reliable tech and um and a proper you know theatre style venue and and you know we ended up doing in the dining room of the Gilded Balloon which is a yeah, 120 capacity space so which i'd never been able to do on the free fringe so that's just very exciting and I'm, I'm really excited and, and so it's really nice to have had the support of the estate for that because 
I couldn't have done that without them. And they've been brilliant. Rob's been brilliant. Uh, he recorded a special little video for me in the show where he confirms that uh, he has my that that the show is official and has his support. Uh, you know, he's um, he's going to be a guest at one of the footnote shows at some point. And uh, yeah, it's been really really good. And uh, it, that's opened a lot of doors and has kind of made the whole process so much easier. And uh, has given me access to some well. Not access to content and material because I had all that myself, but also things like pictures and uh, clips from films and shows that are based on his work, that kind of thing. I didn't have to worry about the copyright for that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's been a delight. Hey, you have done The Fringe before a number of times, as we mentioned there earlier in the interview. Mm. So this is clearly a different style of show. So do you feel there's, there's the sort of the way, the legacy does, what does, how does that impact how you feel about the show? Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> this is the scary, this is the hardest I've ever worked on a fringe show. Because I've done the fringe, what, this will be my ninth fringe show, including collaborations I've done with other people, and I think my sixth pure solo show. Um, before, they've always just been, I've spent a year writing stand-up, and I've come up with an idea for a story, and I've assembled my jokes around it, and I've written out from there, and I've gone and done it under the radar, free venue, people have gone, oh, that looks interesting. And they've gone to see it with no expectations and they enjoy it. And everyone's a winner. Like, you know, it's a, it's, it's nice to do, to do a low key show. It means the world to you when you're doing it. It's the most sort of significant thing that's happening to you. You put your heart and soul into it, but ultimately people are just going, oh, that looks interesting. And they'll check it out. Um, and then they'll go in without any expectations. So when you impress them, they are suitably impressed. And uh, that kind of reflects well on you. This, this is people going to a premium venue, paying a proper ticket price, booking in advance, and going to see a show about their favourite author or their an author they've heard about. And there, there's a level of expectation that just comes from that. Not take away the fact that I feel like I've got to represent Terry himself, and I'm and I'm representing the estate and its kind of official status and all of that. Forget just taking all of that away. Just the idea that it's uh, in a premium venue, it's about something that people really care about and it's at a proper ticket price. That put the right willies up me straight away because the, the stakes are so much higher. People aren't going to go, oh, that looks interesting. Oh, I like We like the poster. The, like, we, I, I like the bloke who gave me the flyer. We'll go take a chance. It's free, whatever. This is people going, oh, there's a thing about my favourite author. This is going to, well, we've we'll got to go to that. Absolutely. Let's, let's And um, it had to be good. More so than anything else I've ever done, it had to be good. Uh, like I couldn't get away with it being bad. It just the, there just wasn't any room. And I, I I've done more previews for this show than I've ever done before. I've done something like twenty previews. Normally, I'm lucky to get ten in. I'm lucky to get five in because obviously it's hard when no one when you're a one comedian among a million comedians to go. Oh, will you let me do an hour long show in your venue? Who's going to come? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, it's hard to get previews. Uh, like. Um, and it's hard to get preview audiences. You say you're doing a show about Terry Pratchett, that opens some doors. Uh, so I've been able, been lucky through that because it's been easy to get previews. And I've done proper theatres and um, and had really nice audiences. And I've actually been able to road test the show in a way that I've never been able to before with real audiences. So it's um, so that's helped. But I've been constantly aware of that thing. So partly the idea that it's that it is this. Uh, prestige 
version of a fringe show it's which i've never done anything quite like that before and partly then the weight of expectation of sir terry of i am representing terry i'm representing my favorite author uh, and he wrote extremely funny books so the show has to be funny it like it's very deliberately built as a comedy show I'm, i was very it could, didn't have to be it could have been storytelling technically it's a lecture like it, but i wanted it to be built as a comedy show i wanted it to be built as stand-up and i wanted to use my skills and also terry's jokes that's the that's the joy of it is i get to use some of, not as many as i thought actually a lot there's a lot more of the good joke of the good laughs in it are mine than i was expecting i could have fallen back on his but uh a lot of it is mine but you know there's such a level of love for him he still like eight years on from his death the the level of affection and attention like the official biography that came out that rob wrote last year was a was a bestseller like there was a there was a sky movie made came out just before christmas based on the amazing morris there's still product coming out people are still buying it they're still engaging they still care there's a huge fan base so i have to do something that is gonna be worthy of that the people who are engaged are going to really enjoy and then there's it's got another challenge as well because you've essentially got to please three audiences because if you're a huge terry pratchett fan if you're as much of a pratchett nerd as i am you've got to come to the show and not be sitting there going yeah i know that yeah yeah i knew that oh, oh yeah i've seen that bit before you can't just be sitting there going you have to be totally engaged i have to totally get you as a pratchett fan i have to make sure that you get something from it that that you laugh that that you learn something that you probably didn't know. But then on the other end of it, there are the people who are being dragged along by their husbands or wives, mostly their wives, mostly dragged along by their wives. Uh, there are the Terry Pratchett audience skews, I'd say 60, 40 to women, um, which is a massive misconception about his work. People always assume that it's spotty teenage boys and nerdy old men. It's mostly women of a certain age the average Terry Pratchett fan. Uh, and that's, but I had to, I knew people were going to be dragged along by their partners, by their parents, by their children. And they couldn't spend an hour sat there baffled. They couldn't spend an hour going, I am, do not understand a word of this. So I had to make sure the show worked for them as well. It had to work for people who basically knew nothing about Terry Pratchett. And then the people in the middle is the easy bit. The people who go, oh, I quite like, they, I quite like him. I've read a few books. I'd like to learn a bit more. That's easy. But um, to be able to keep those people happy and keep the super fans happy and keep the people who have no idea happy, like that's a huge balancing act to write something that works for those three groups. And like, so I, like I said, I've worked on the show harder than I've worked on anything in my life. I probably worked on the show harder than I worked on the book in a way. It didn't take as long and it didn't involve the amount of research. But in terms of the writing, like you know, the actual writing of the book was relatively easy. The research is the hard bit finding the finding the information is the hard bit writing is just I, you know i'm quite i quite like writing i'm good at writing i just sit there and you connect the dots and the structure of the book is pretty easy he he's born in 1948 he dies in 2015 just find out the information that connects those two points and tell it pretty much in order the show couldn't do that that doesn't work as the format of a show because i just you can't fit that into an hour like it would have been this kind of skipping through all the details and there wouldn't have been any substance to it. So I had to completely take the show, the story apart and work out what the story was and have all of these things in mind that it has to work for these three distinct audiences and it has to tell the story without 
telling the whole story because there's not time. So yeah, there's so much work and um, that's got into it. And it's been a really satisfying uh, creative project. It's probably the most satisfying writing project I've ever done writing this show. I've really enjoyed it, but it's all the time. There's always this little voice in my hand going, it has to be good. You cannot scrimp on this. You cannot just do what you do. You like, it has to be good. So yeah, it's been, to answer your question, yes. With all the, we should have started with the yes. Guess what's happening on the uh, YouTube Shorts version of this. But in all of that, (laughs) in all of that artistic pressure and endeavour, you're doing another show. (laughs) Well, that's, there's a, that is a pressure valve. There's a very specific reason for that. Um, Because the other show is a straight stand-up show. It's called Mark Burroughs in the Glob of Knit, which is a Pratchett reference because I wanted to sort of tie the two together. Um, Glob of Knit being uh, a reference to, in the book, Going Postal, which is an excellent, if you've never read a Terry Pratchett book, that's a great starting point. Uh, It has a parody of the New York Postal Service and there's a sign outside the New York Post Office that says, no, not rain nor snow nor gloom of night shall stay these messages about their whatever. And in, in the book, somebody has nicked a couple of letters from the sign so it says not not rain nor snow nor glom of knit and um so i i used that as a title but it's a sense but that's a stand-up show and that's pure stand-up that's jokes and the the nice thing about that is that i'd written a lot of it already and i'm taking i'm deliberately not taking that as seriously and it's very interesting because normally when i do a stand-up show that is the most important thing that i'm doing and i put so much effort into that to making sure that it's structurally sound and it has a story and it has a purpose. Um, and I deliberately with this one opted for a small room. It's a much smaller room than I would normally have tried gone for. So it only seats 25 people. Uh, it's late night. And the idea was that it would be a pressure, va- pressure release. So that this other, sh- the Terry Pratchett show is this huge undertaking that takes so much work and has so much weight of expectation and money. There's so much money involved. And it's not my money. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's the it's the Terry Pratchett estate's money, and I have to sell out most of the tickets just to get it back for them. Uh, and that's a, so there's this huge weight of expectation on that, and lots of pressure. So the so actually doing the other show might sound kind of ridiculous and mad, but uh, I wanted to have something I'd en- that would I could just enjoy, that is just my stand up. It doesn't really have. I mean, as I've written it and as I've kind of found bits and put it together and found new bits, I kind of have found a story in it. It kind of does go somewhere and it does tell you something about me and about the world we live in and that's kind of the point of it but the idea really was that i'd do something that i could just have fun with and would just be me telling jokes with no kind of grand sort of grand theme around them because i've always very heavily themed my shows i did one about mental health and i did one about how much i love music and uh, I did one about the '90s, and yeah, you know, all of my shows have always had these very high concept ideas, so the audience knew what they were getting and what it was about. And with this, for the first time, I've just done a show that is here is me doing some stand up, and hopefully, people will enjoy the other show. They'll go come to the Terry Pratchett show and they'll want to see more. And I can uh, siphon off a small amount of them to come and see me do substantially ruder material. <laughs> um uh later on that day uh this is a good you know it's a late night show and it feels it feels late night and i'm uh yeah i'm, re- I'm actually very pleased with it and i'm really enjoying the process of that because it's just it feels so much lighter compared to the other one 
it feels like it's the fun of doing of doing stand up of telling jokes and it it it's not it's the first time I've done a show whereas the Terry Pratchett show is the first time I've done a show at Edinburgh that is like crushingly pressured incredibly incredibly high stakes so the other one by necessity is the first time I've done a show at the fringe that has no real pressure to it that really feels that I don't have to make sure I make a certain amount of money in the bucket because I've paid a certain amount for my for my flat or all that sort of stuff um I ju- I just get to enjoy telling my jokes and doing and giving people an idea of what it is I do also I just didn't want to go up and just be the Terry Pratchett guy I didn't want everyone to go, oh, you're doing the Terry Pratchett thing. It's like, it's nice to be able to go, yeah, I, but I also do comedy. I'm also a, com- a comedian. I'm not just a biographer who's uh, chancing it, uh, who's chancing it with a with a lecture. I am also somebody who can do this. Look, look, I can do it. Look, mum, here it is. So, yeah, my other show is kind of me showing the, showing, showing the audience some crests I've grown on a flannel. Look, I can do it. Look. Um, yeah. So, it's, an, it's a, actually, it's a pressure valve. Although... It does worry me to just be talking that much every day on stage. Um, and I'm trying to actually think properly about, you know, I'm not getting any old, any younger. <laughs> I'm 42 now. That's actually three hours on stage. That's quite a lot of time on stage every day. Um, so that's the one thing that maybe makes makes me think it wasn't a wise thing to do. But I felt like I had to do it for my sanity. You're doing two extremes of the fringe in the same Very much. Year. In the same year, what does you know? The, the classic question of if I say fringe, what's the first thing you think about? But you've got you're at two extremes here. So how do you reconcile fringe with these two radically differently budgeted, presented, artistic formed shows? Being your fringe. Well, that that's always been what the fringe has been. And just because I've only ever, I mean, I have done theatre shows before. I have done, I I have done kind of, I've done the first couple of shows I did were in were in paid venues, um, low low ticket prices, the five pound fringe, if you remember that. Then my first show is a five pound fringe show. So I've done kind of, I've done a kind of the kind of proper thing before, not for a while and not at this level, but I've done that. So and then I've done your grungy punk rock free fringe shows. But the whole joy of the fringe has always been that it's both of those things. Right. It's always been that you can go and see some of the best art in the world presented in uh, like wonderfully, beautifully crafted places and incredible venues. And then you can go and sit in the back room of a pub and watch somebody swearing outrageously for an hour and that's the and and then the weird stuff in between that's always been the joy of the fringe the joy of the fringe is it's always been those things it's always been all of those things um which has always been its greatest strength and i think it's uh, when when you try and put kind of a shape around what the fringe is when you say when you get the people going oh no 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 the fringe can't be we there's too many newcomers weirdos people who don't aren't ready to do it yet doing free shows because they've got access to it and we can't have that no so the fringe has to be people doing their best stuff best performances the best of comedy the best of of other art for, i forget there are other art forms to the fringe <laughs> and then you have the other people and going, western yeah exactly yeah we we have both kinds um but uh, and the chicken wire but 
there is a certain you get people particularly in the comedy industry who would get annoyed by the amount of kind of unpolished stuff on the free french uh saying that it kind of dilutes things it waters things down it detracts from the quality stuff and they and then on the and i think they're hankering back to a time 20 years ago really now where where um there was it was a bit where the main fringe was a bit more accessible where the paid fringe was a bit more accessible than it is now um but you know all the but there was kind of a bit more of a gatekeeper still to stop the utter utter kind of too weird or too unprepared even so people think of the ring they, they and then but then there's the other side where you go no the fringe should be this wild free experimental some of it is amazing some of it is terrible anyone can have a go it the whole point is because there's no other time in the entire like year where a comedian who doesn't have a fan base or a profile and it hasn't been on telly can do an hour on stage and present their vision in that way so you there's a whole there's another school of of, of people who think Oh, it'd be better if we shut down the pleasance and the uh, the pleasance and the gilded balloon and the underbelly, and we just had this the wild creativity that's in the free fringe, and that people knew that that's what they were getting. But really, the answer is neither of those things. The answer is the fringe is both of them. The fringe is um, your t- comics who've got a bit of TV, who you've heard of, who've come up to make their name and make their fortune and and have beautifully. Uh, produced and crafted shows with money behind them uh, and someone who's never done, who's probably only ever done 15 minutes. Um, no, never, never done longer than 15 minutes on stage before doing an hour that they are not prepared for in a room that is right on the outskirts of town, basically the other side of Leith. Like, I, I, you know, you, sh- it needs to be both of those things. And it's really nice for me to get to do both in the same year. And I really enjoy that. And I'm, I'm, and, and, and like I said, they, they achieve different things. One is the prestige show for me. One is the, look, I can do the prestige thing. I can do this show that is about my favorite author and it is well-funded and well-presented and I put so much work into it. And then I can also do, here is me, you know, just messing about here is me telling silly stories and silly jokes that are about my life but actually there is a theme in there there is a point i am telling you something about my worldview which i think is what stand-up should do um but you know it's in a small room it's in a karaoke booth (laughs) it's in a karaoke booth with a picture of blur behind behind the stage like you can fit 25 people in and i'm i'm actually excited about doing that i mean because it's there's no pressure and i can put all of my I don't, I'm not, I'm not even, hopefully not even going to have to flyer it. I'm just going to turn up and enjoy it. And the idea is that show will evolve, will change and I'll, I'll fix it up and change it. And maybe next year I come back with that show in a full form. And that's my main fringe show. I don't know, but um, that's, so yeah, that's the fringe to me is, is all of those things and everything in between. And I think if you try and block off one end or the other, you're detracting from what it is. And now we know that you're comfortable in a karaoke room with a picture of Blur behind you. I guess that answers the country house versus roll with it massive nineties <laughs> debate. Well, you can see this, but the audience listening at home can't. But I don't know if you've noticed what the pictures behind me are. <laughs> uh, Tammy Winnett, 
Um, Rebum, <laughs> <laughs> the delights of radio and audio and podcasting. Uh, there are, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, framed pictures of Blur behind me in my uh, little workspace here. I'm a huge. I saw some at Wembley Stadium last year, uh, last week. I'm a huge Blur fan. Uh, I have a Blur tattoo. Uh, I talked a lot about Blur in the 2014 show I did. Um, <laughs> oh, I remember, Mark. I remember. I don't remember it was nine years ago, but I do remember. Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I actually, I, I actually, I don't hate Oasis. I did not buy Roll with it, and I did hide copies of Roll with it behind copies of Country House. That uh, was so extraordinary. That was such an extraordinary week. That was that was the week where where I felt like. I knew how important music was and it was like the entire world had realized as well. And it's on the news now. And it's like, I like I knew, I knew bands were that important, but now everyone else has finally caught on. I was, that was a really, really, really like, was a good time to be 15. If you ask him very nicely, you might get a rerun of 20th century market some point during the fringe. But uh, in lieu of that, we do have three shows. We will have links back on our website. But for everybody who's listening and who's got the incredibly detailed and useful Edinburgh Fringe app on their phone, where and when can we catch up with you at the Fringe, Mark? So the magic of Terry Pratchett, my show about the life and career of Sir Terry Pratchett, will be at the Gilded Balloon in the dining room in the TV as I've now learned it's, it's pronounced. Uh, uh, dining, dining room, 5.30 every single day of the Fringe, except uh, the 14th. And then that will be followed half an hour later by the magic of Terry Pratchett, the footnotes, um, which is only a fiver and should be a lark. And I'm really looking forward to that one because actually when I've done previews of the show, I do that as the second half and it's always my favourite bit of the night. Uh, so I, I'm really looking forward to just, because it's just nerding out. And that's really fun. So and that's going to be also the Gilded Balloon uh, in, I think it's in the lounge, I believe the room is called. Um, that's at 7pm every night. Uh, and then I will go for a small nap <laughs> and then come back fighting at 11.15 at uh, the City Cafe 90s room uh, to do my other show, Mark Burroughs and the Glom of Knit. And that's that's uh, free fringe. It's not even, it's not pay, it's not uh, pay what you can in advance. This one is entirely traditional. Chuck money in the bucket. Although I do have a PayPal reader now <laughs> for the way on on the way out. So that yeah, five thirty, seven o'clock, eleven fifteen. And for everybody who is outside of Edinburgh, Mark, they can catch up at your website and all good bookstores and the digital one that we yeah we know. <laughs> markburrows.co.uk uh, has all of you can buy my books uh, you can buy my book about Sir Terry you can buy my book about David Bowie and Mark Bolan um, you can buy a book with my book there's a collection of my music writing and there's all the, loads of other stuff on there as well um, uh, yeah and, and I'm, I'm I mean I'm, I've still got a couple of previews left for the magic of Terry Pratchett I'm in Leicester next week with Andrew O'Neill but that's sold out uh, I'm in Seton in Devon next Thursday. Um, Which probably is uh, going to translate to this Thursday. So This Thursday. We, we get Thursday to do the, the 20s. Oh, don't we Thursday get to do the, the classic now, Mark? We get to do the classic. Check local listings for details. Hey. hey. Uh, the other one is the Bedford Fringe. Uh, which is the day before I then I get on the Magic train, uh, the exciting train of wonder, and head up to Edinburgh um, in order to... Uh, gradually whittle my soul into small pieces over the course of three and a half weeks and direct links to all of those as i said back at our website which is edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com mark once again thank you for your time let's not leave it nine years until the next one no we're not i'll see you next year 
Mark Burroughs there taking time out of his preps for the Fringe to talk about his show at the Fringe. Terry Pratchett, The Magic of, is at 5.30pm in the Gilded Balloon. The Magic of Terry Pratchett, The Footnotes, is at 7pm uh, also at the Gilded Balloon. And in the glum of knit, quarter past 11pm at the City Cafe under the Laughing Horse banner what happens next with the podcast well we've got a few more weekly previews uh we've talked to stand up we've talked to storytellers we haven't talked to venue yet so let's see if we can get one of those uh ready to give you a bigger flavor of the fringe next weekend and then we will start speeding up the uh, press launches are going to happen so i'm going to be going around with my notebook finding interesting stories people to talk to and all the magic of the fringe and the podcast itself will speed up we're looking at weekday shows this year monday through thursday monday through friday i'm sure there will be enough interesting stories to get me through on the fridays as long as as long as there's enough iron brew as well as always link like love share subscribe leave reviews do star ratings etc 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 all the social media conventions just assume i've said all of them there as well but it's most important if you really love the podcast is to leave a star rating somewhere it really boosts us up when people start searching edinburgh fringe in their favorite podcast client and they're looking for a second show after they discover richard herring's show and that's it really see you in the next preview a couple of days time maybe about seven yeah do for now You've been listening to the Edinburgh Fringe Show, hosted by Ewan Spence, produced by The Podcast Corner. Listen to more from The Fringe at edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com. Edinburgh Fringe.